Blog Talk Radio. Excuse me, Captain Kirk. Yes, sir. Mr. Scott. What a charming negress. Oh, forgive me, my dear. I know that in my time, some use that term as a description of property. But why should I object to that term, sir? You see, in our century, we've learned not to fear words. May I present our communications officer, Lieutenant Uhura? The foolishness of my century had me apologizing where no offense was given. We've each learned to be delighted with what we are. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro-Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. And introducing West Coast correspondent, Miss Claire Linnae. Mind expansion engaged. Yes, folks, we have returned, and I got the intro corrected. I'm pretty sure our West Coast correspondent, she is Clay Lene. I'm pretty sure she's pleased as punch. Folks, the Grindhouse returns just for you. The call-in number, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. The gang is all here, live and direct, and we're going to do the damn thing. Uh, first up, let's go to a groove. I, you know what I want to do, folks? I want to go into the Purple Room early. I want to enter the Purple Room early. This is his royal badness, Prince, simply it. When we return, we'll get to the discourse. Let's groove.
enough of that. Once again, the late Prince Rogers Nelson entering the Purple Room, that simply called it, it, and this is it, the Grindhouse. First up, you know who this gentleman is, finally returned from Rigel 26, he is the captain. Captain, you're needed in engineering again. Let's get to it. Let's do it. Let's do it, sir. All right. This gentleman, the uncanny Daryl B., what more can I say? Let's just keep it simple. <laughs> He's just that way. Daryl B. Good. Folks, if you have Netflix and you're an anime fan, do yourself a favor. Go check out the new Voltron. And then next is The Deep for me. So, so between Gundam, Voltron, and The Deep... I'm going to have fun this weekend. Terrific. Folks, new to our team, finally got her intro straightened out, so I'm pretty sure she's happy. Uh, let's give her a little bit more, a little bit more cushion. All right, none of that. Claire, how are you? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I am doing all right. How are you? Pretty good. Did I straighten it out now? Did I straighten it out? No, I feel like I should start singing or something. Uh, okay. <laughs> all right, um, folks, as I stated in the beginning, the call-in number is always a constant, 646-915-9620. Feel free to come on in. The water is always warm. Questions, queries, disagreements, protestations, all of that. Uh, first up, Claire, we need your weekly roundup. So let's get to it, my dear. Let's get to it. All right, let's get started. So let's start with TV news. Superman will be appearing in at least two episodes of Supergirl when it returns in the fall on CW. With previous Clark Kent alumni, such as Dean Cain, already recurring on the show as Kara's adopted father, Jeremiah Danvers, and Brandon Rouse, now playing the Adam on Legends of Tomorrow, that leaves another fan favorite, Tom Welling, whose Section 13 espionage pilot did not oh, get picked up. Yes. <laughs> uh, Welling spent yeah. the majority of his ten seasons on Smallville, grounded right. with no tight, no flights policy. Uh, casting is underway to find DC's TV version of Kal-El. Y'all can hear me okay? Yep. Yeah, you were breaking up a little bit. Oh, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Captain Cold and Hot Girl won't be returning as series regulars next season on Legends of Tomorrow. Our band of misfit time travelers will be adding Our Man and Vixen. Rex Tyler, who crashed the party, so to speak, in the season finale, will be played by Suits actor Patrick J. Adams. Megalyn Echikinwoke won't be returning as Mari McCabe, as she had done so in an episode of Arrow earlier this year due to scheduling conflicts. Gotham Season 3 will be introducing Mad Hatter, along with a young, ambitious journalist who will be none other than Vicki Vale. Daredevil has not officially been renewed for Season 3, which has led to some whispers about whether production will be postponed to make room for developing the Defenders series. 
along with Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist, Marvel and Netflix have also greenlit a Punisher spinoff. Brian Michael Bendis' Marvel comic Scarlet is being developed for HBO's sister company, Cinemax. According to Bendis, they're still in early stages, but the plan is to have the series exist in the shared TV universe of the MCU. In movie news, Star Wars The Force Awakens' John John Boyega has signed on to star in Pacific Rim 2. He'll be playing the son of Idris Elba's character who perished in the first movie. Still no word on whether or not Charlie Hunnam or Rinko Kikuchi will return. Originally developed as a live-action movie with Guillermo del Toro attached, Justice League Dark is now going to be a straight-to-DVD animated release instead. There will be a sneak peek included as a bonus feature of the upcoming Batman The Killing Joke home video. Justice League Dark was launched as a comic book in 2011, which followed characters such as John Constantine and Zatanna delving into the supernatural and paranormal, but it was canceled last year ahead of the announced relaunch of Dark Universe, which has yet to come into fruition. Although previously established as a member of the Howling Commandos in Captain America First Avenger, as well as a flashback scene in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Kenneth Choi is joining the cast of Spider-Man Homecoming as the principal at Peters High School. Since Marvel is usually pretty consistent about maintaining continuity within their shared universe's timeline, one might speculate that Choi could be playing a descendant of his Jim Morita character. Speaking of Spidey 3.0, it's been rumored that Peter Parker's best friend will be based on Gunky Lee, who is Miles Morales' friend in the Ultimate Spider-Man comics and is Korean-American. Regardless of the fact that Michael Barbieri, who was cast to play the best friend, is white, I must stress that this is still a rumor and that it was stated his character will be based on Lee, not that he's actually going to play him. Universal Studios has been trying to get a Battlestar Galactica movie off the ground for years. They're pushing forward with Hunger Games' Francis Lawrence in talks to direct, and the most recent screenwriter attempting to draft a new chapter of the Humans vs. Cylons saga is Lisa Joy, who last worked on Westworld, which is set to air this fall on HBO. Actor-rapper Keith Stanfield, who appeared in Dope and Straight Outta Compton, will co-star alongside the Fault in Our Stars up-and-comer Nat Wolf in the live-action American film adaptation of Death Note. Based on the Japanese manga animated series, the story follows a student who finds a supernatural notebook that gives him the power to kill anyone simply by writing the victim's name. Netflix recently acquired the rights when Warner Brothers' ownership of the property expired. Production will begin this summer, helmed by indie director Adam Wingard. Sasha Baron Cohen is on board to star as Mandrake the Magician in a 21st century movie revamp of the newspaper comic strip created by Lee Falk and first published in 1934. Described as America's first superhero, Mandrake uses his illusionist and escape artist skills to thwart evil doings and villainy. Could Marvel be backtracking on its decision to exclusively present in Disney's D23 convention? Scott Derrickson and James Gunn have both teased via Twitter that they'll be attending San Diego Comic-Con next month. Whether they'll be presenting announcements or screening footage from Doctor Strange and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is anyone's guess. Well, that's it for this weekly roundup. Back to you, Afro Nerd. All right. As always, Claire, great, great job. Uh, let's get into it, folks. If you haven't guessed it, the Grindhouse. I'm always going to repeat that because folks are always coming in at different times. 
Um, let's get into this deal with the Warcraft film adaptation. Um, I have yet, I've yet to see this. I may see it, but I'm not really I'm not really enthused. I'm hearing now that it's it's kind of doing so. So I think it made 171 million worldwide thus far. But domestically, it's not doing that great. I think in China, China's kind of boosting up its numbers. Um, I, I'm just not sure about this. Duncan Jones is the director of this thing. Um, and if you didn't know who he is, his lineage, that's David Bowie's son. So anyway, um, Daryl, I, I heard you tweet about this briefly on Twitter. Um, what are your thoughts about this? Why it didn't do that, that well, again, off the video game? Initially. Easy, because people play the video game. All right, folks, I, I can't stress this enough. Give me the video game movie that did gangbusters. Exactly, you can't name one. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wait, Mila Jovovich. I'm, I'm a Resident Evil fan, and none of her movies did gangbusters. Hold on, you can't have that many sequels. Money's being made. How many sequels has there Mo- been of Resident Evil? Money's being made, but, uh, but wait, wait, wait. Is it the joke? Anytime I bring that up, you guys go, how could you like that? How could you like that? I like no. the Resident Evil movies, but none of them have been a blockbuster. I I was shocked that Warcraft was going to be released there because I'm like, who's their audience going to be? Because all the people that will be into this movie are at home playing the video game. When are they going to have time to go out and watch the movie? You know, hey, 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 I will eventually go and see this movie. It's not like I'm totally hating on it. But to expect this to do gangbusters the first week is is just... Impossible. That was an impossible goal. All right? Hey, the Chinese, all the power to them. Go out, watch a movie. That's cool. Honestly, I told people from jump. I told people from jump. What's being released at the same time as this movie? Oh, Voltron? I'm watching that first off of Netflix. Oh, now you see me too? I'm watching that first before this. Remember, I'm not a gamer. All right? Sword and Fantasy, that comes slightly below horror and superhero stuff for me, okay? So, again, like, like I told people, I told people, hey, this is not my major expertise here, but, but I heard things like the studio is expecting a $200 million gate right away for, from this. I'm like, again, your target audience will be busy actually playing the video game, actually playing the MMORPG to go out and waste two hours where they could be crafting their own, vi- uh, crafting their own adventures to watch this. So it would have to be awesome for people to go, hey, 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 get away from the computer. Stop playing. You got to check out the movie. And I have yet to hear that. Back to you, Afro-Nerd. All right. A, a couple of things. And, you know, our show is all about giving out correct information. Now, when we talk about the Resident Evil franchise, uh, we have to be careful as to how we phrase it because we're talking about five, five or six movies under the umbrella. And when you go through the, when you go through the numbers, there's, it would be classified as successful. There's no way you would go to, into sequels 
and they're not being I, money made. Hold on, hold okay. on, Daryl. Let me finish. Let me finish my point respectfully. respectfully. Okay, go ahead. Now, I'm going to read this, read this briefly, and Tomb Raider would also be one that would be considered somewhat successful. Anyway, it says, even with an R rating, the $33 million film managed to bring in more than $102 million worldwide. That's the first one. The 2004 sequel, Resident Evil Apocalypse, made more than $120 million worldwide. The third film made $148 million. The fifth film made $200 million. Now, the cost of these things may not be as extravagant as a Warcraft film, but when it comes down to what is considered successful, A, if it gets a sequel, it was successful. And B, the fact that money has been made, if this profit, if the profit margin has been met, it's a success. And again, Tomb Raider would also go, uh, fall under that. So we can't say that there hasn't been uh, video game movie adaptations that were successful. But I hear what oh, you're saying, Hitman. as far as maybe on a, on a larger put scale. In there too. Yeah, yes. I mean, you know, they're doing it for a reason. <laughs> I put it that way. I think it goes, in my opinion, in my opinion, I think it goes a little bit deeper as to why this film didn't work. I wouldn't say, and again, just how I feel, I wouldn't say that no one wants to leave the, the TV. I think anyone would want to see, that's like I wouldn't want to leave my comic books to see uh, Batman vs. Superman. If it's good, it's going to do what it has to do. I think that they're saying that it really wasn't much, from what I read, there really, really wasn't not much of a story there. There wasn't, it wasn't not much of a mythology. Game of Thrones, even though it's TV, has a world-spanning mythology. Uh, J.K. Rowling, with, with, with her Harry Potter series, they have a mythology. Warcraft, from what I'm hearing, was empty. That's why I didn't do what it was supposed to do. All let's right, go, but, but, but let me let, let me just let, let me just say this before. To, okay, let's, let's I could go I? back to the archives where I brought up Resident Evil on this show, and both of you made fun of me for liking it. Let's See, go there he goes again. Captain, right. Let's go to Captain Kirk. Let's go to Captain Kirk. All right, I think that what Daryl essentially means—he just didn't express it right, probably due to the emotion behind him being correct—was that. When he said blockbuster, meaning what she's not going to do, like a Dawn of Justice numbers or uh, a Captain America type numbers, these movies traditionally won't do numbers like that. But they're not necessarily also spending, at times, at times that big money also. So if that's the standpoint he's coming in, they're correct. But there's been a lot of flops too, you know, Super Mario Brothers, Wing Commander, Doom, Dead or Alive, Alone in the Dark. We can go on and on. There's a lot of flops with these, and a lot of times. These movies don't necessarily work, but there's also been some successful ones. It's hit or miss. And I love how people try to play Monday morning quarterback and why this, why that doesn't work. Hollywood, a lot of times, at best, it's an educated guess. At best, that's it. Something is popular, let's take a chance. Popular means it's supposed to be a meme that's ubiquitous in society. At times, even when it is a meme, ubiquitous in society, it doesn't necessarily work. Doesn't work. Doesn't necessarily work. And that's just the reality of it. It's hit or miss. It's hit or miss. Back to you, Afronerd. Our friend Sabretooth says Mortal Kombat did good, didn't it? Uh, I think the first you could that could be you could say that. I mean, it's, it's it's struggling as far as trying to find a new voice. But I think the first one did quite well, and they're always talking about trying to go back into it. So I mean, it, again, it's just a matter of perspective and what you consider to be successful. But I agree with Daryl as far as like trying to measure up with these billion-dollar franchises. I think the way that it was put out there, it was put out there to look 
and to act like it was a Captain America Civil War deal. And it doesn't look like it's going to go through that trajectory. Let's go to our West Coast correspondent, <laughs> Claire. Claire, what are your thoughts about Warcraft? Uh, I know you see some of this stuff begrudgingly. If you feel that it's, it's, it's sucking, it's coming forward, you seem to avoid that. So <laughs> what are your thoughts about this? Well, I mean, I'm not a gamer. I'm, of course, familiar with, uh, with Warcraft. Um, I just, I don't really have any real interest to see it. Um, the only reason why I'm particularly interested in seeing Assassin's Creed is because Magneto is in it, okay? Michael yeah. Fassbender is an amazing actor, and he can elevate a phone book. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's just that good, and he's that engaging. So that would be the only reason why I would take a look at Assassin's Creed. For Warcraft, um, I'm not huge on any of the fantasy elements. I'm told that it is visually striking, but me personally, I lean more towards sci-fi as opposed to, um, you know, monsters and, and, you know, mythological creatures and dragons and, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm impressed at the numbers that it's raking in overseas. Um, it's obviously not going to do nearly as well here in the U.S., simply because of bad word of mouth. Um, across the board, it hasn't really gotten good reviews. But uh, I don't know. I think for me personally, this one might be <laughs> a wait for Netflix kind of thing. Well, I want to open up this conversation a bit further. Um, does, some folks, are, and I, I don't think rightfully, but some folks are positing that we have what happened with X-Men Apocalypse that is somewhat mediocre numbers, and, and I, I put that in quotes, somewhat mediocre numbers. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, not doing that well, or performing below expectations. Uh, Johnny Depp's Alice. Uh, some of these cross-pollinating movies, whether it's fantasy, sci-fi, mythological, they're, they're putting them in the same ball of wax. That now we're, we're kind of seeing some movies not doing so well. So is, is this evidence, and I'm going to Daryl on this one, is this evidence of superhero fantasy sci-fi fatigue? No. I'm not saying that. Here, here's the problem, okay? And I will go right to Disney's door here for this one, okay? When you did Snow White and the Huntsman, okay, and you saw the numbers that put in, did that justify the Huntsman getting a second, second try at it? I didn't think so, but they did it anyway, and they were looking... They were looking to find that, uh, oh, they'll come out for this, even though you don't have Snow White. The name that would bring people in who wouldn't be interested in it, you know, oh, hey, hey, they'll come in anyway. I think it's lack of ma poor marketing, poor planning. See, here's how the Warcraft movie would work for American audiences. You would play the fact uh, you would make a mode on the video game that could only be completed with things from the movie. 
you would use that as a hook, like how you use downloadable content to get people to go to GameStop to to charge extra on a game where they've already paid fifty, sixty dollars on. Like, oh, I gotta have it. I gotta have it. I gotta have it. Well, you got what millions upon millions of war class players in uh, in America these days. You know. You would do something where you would need to see the movie, need to go out and buy that ticket to see the movie to to unlock something, to get something from the game, all right? That, that, again, again, you have, a, you're trying to go cross-platform to, to capitalize on success. You need to utilize that. Utilize the fact that you're cross-platforming to, to, to ensure success for it. Again, I'm going to see the movie sometime this week, and I will uh, issue a mea culpa here. But from jump, I said, okay, so what's the hook for a non-Warcraft player to go see this? And most of the Warcraft players are that, that uh, are going to see this won't see this the first weekend because they're too busy playing Warcraft. I still stand on that. You know, when you when you got trying to target an audience here, and they are already intimately aware of the story from playing all the games religiously over the top, what is the hook to get them to come in? See, comic book readers, we got continuity. We, we will go see a comic book movie just to rip the, the changes they made to the story, along with seeing our beloved characters, okay? But when it's a video game movie, and you've already played the video game religiously and know the story and know the levels and know the tricks and know all of this, what is the hook to get them to come in? That's why I say the problem here, it's not fatigue because I know superhero fans that aren't touching this movie, all right? But yet it's lumped in, oh, it's superhero fatigue. What superheroes in Warcraft? You know? So that's one, that's one, that's a clickbait. I saw that article, that's clickbait. Oh, what? Click. Without knowing. Back to you, Afrinerd. You know, where I veer off from what you're saying, and then we're going to go to something else, um, something you did point out is that, okay, the cross-pollination effect between the video game players and the actual movie, that would be interesting. That would be smart marketing if they were, if they were to have done that. I would agree with you on that. But I think even beyond that, and that's a great idea, even beyond that, when you're dealing with video games, Initially, you're dealing with kind of a thin premise. That's what's also what's, what's really working itself with these kind of issues. Uh, when you think of J.K. Rowling, even when you mentioned comic books, we, we're in the culture, so we may not really think about it that much, but the information and the mythology um, and the canon connected to comic books is vast. It's vast. Uh, we're going to talk about Mycroft Holmes sometime during the show. Mycroft Holmes uh, is a book that was a, a book initially attached to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and he also has now a forthcoming comic book series, which I'm really excited about. But when you think about the little tidbits with even Sherlock Holmes as, and, as, and as to why he, he sticks around for so long, is because he has such a, 
a mythology. I mean, you know, he, he lives on 221B Baker Street. Uh, hell, two, 221B Baker Street is, is an actual address in London. They made it an, a, uh, an address. It was fictional, but they made it real. When you start seeing things being made real, that's when you know that there's an actual, almost tangible mythology that, that you can use, utilize in a filmmaking process. But when you have, you know, this Warcraft film, for whatever reason, I don't think there was a, was a deep enough story, uh, a heavy enough mythology that people think that, are, uh, that they can be engaged in. You know, um, I'm even thinking about Sherlock, even more, his, his deer stalker hat. You know, all these little things create a mythology. They, they, they create a world view. It's, it's expansive. But Warcraft, from what I've been told, that there's nothing going on. Just It's all visuals. So I think partially what you said, in my opinion, with uh, if they was, had more foresight, hell, they should have been some kind of thing to kind of force people to see the movie if there was cross-pollination going on. Why, did, why they didn't go there, I, I don't know. Well, you know, I, 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 I will say this. I will say this. Here's the thing. To Warcraft players everywhere, all right? I already got a great series based on Warcraft, and it's called Sword Art Online. If you've never checked out the manga or the anime, check that out about players in a virtual reality that get trapped there where everything in the game now affects their bodies uh, 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 their real life bodies in the real world, and they have to. And they have to. The only way to escape it is to solve, beat every level of the game to get out. Okay, and that and and they use elements from Warcraft, elements from Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, all the anime elements are in there. But again, I got it in two series and two movies with Sword Art Online. I tell people that all the time. Why aren't you a Warcraft player? Oh, you know why? Because I, I already saw Sword Art Online or SAO. You, uh, look it up. Folks out there, look it up. Because if you look at, uh, just look at their, their, their extra edition, which is a movie that encompasses the first season, if you look at that, that's probably going to be better than Warcraft. All, all, uh, being totally 100 with that. Just to let you guys one, know, it can be done. One quick thing. I want to go to a quick groove just to break things up, and then we'll, go back, we'll get right back into stuff. Uh, did you see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yes. The second one? Yes. How was and that? And I thought it was okay. I, it, it, All right. It's not, it's not gangbusters. You'll get some laughs. I, I, uh, was it better than the first one? I got it on the same level. Yeah, but, but like I said, hey, the best movie that came out for me this weekend so far was Now You See Me Too. And I'm being totally truthful about that. That 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 that's fun from beginning to end for me with now the the Ocean's 11 vibe involving magic really being strong. Turtles, if you're a Turtles fan, if you like the original animated series, all right? If you if you're a fan of that, this is definitely in your wheelhouse. If you're a fan of the older or the 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 newer turtles animated thing, you're going to get lost here because there's stuff in this movie that old time fans would get, even fans of the black and white original comics would get 
that newer fans that don't want to do the research or don't want to look back that far because it ain't them will go, wait, what? What? And for folks out there, I like Tyler Perry as the bad guy or the the dissolution scientist. You'll see the, when you see it, you'll see his turn. And hey, I said I said it before. Folks that think, oh, Stephen Amell is just a TV actor, da da da. He's an actor. He pulled off Casey Jones about as well as you could pull it off. All right. So so. I do, I do say it's good for a fun time. If you're looking for something deeper, you're looking at the wrong movie, Jack. But if you're, if you're a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan from the beginning, I, I don't think you're going to hate this movie much. I, 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 I gave it a 7, 7.5, but, you know, it's not that bad. It's right there. It's a fun time at the movies. Back to you, Alfred all right, when we get back, um, I think I want to actually start something new where we really focus on new characters of color that are being created in the way that we need to highlight them. So uh, La Borinquena, Borinquena, pardon me, La Borinquena, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, uh, by Edgardo Miranda Rodriguez is a Latina superhero that was specifically created for this upcoming New York City Puerto Rican Day Parade. And I think there may be a Marvel connection. I think Rodriguez has actually worked for Marvel as well. But this is an independent book. I've got to reach out to him to get him on the show as well. And also, uh, I was reading the book and didn't really pay attention. Well, I was reading it and then didn't really go into it deeply. It hit me like a few days later about the importance of this new character. Riri Williams is a female Iron Man. So we're going to get into these two characters, but I think as as a regular thing, we need to start to, and I'm imploring my co-discussants, anytime you come across some new character of color, let me know about it, or, or we just kind of fill each other in and actually highlight these characters. So we're going to talk about these two new characters that just came out um, after the groove. So folks, again, if you haven't guessed it, this is the Grindhouse edition of the show, 646-915-9620, 646 646- 915-9620. Remaining on the Wonder Woman theme, <laughs> uh, this is Lion Babe, Wonder Woman, a DJ premiere remix. We'll be right back. Let's groove.
All right, we're back once again. Wonder Woman, as performed by Lion Babe, DJ Premier Remix. Let's get back into the fold. Um, before the break, I was mentioning that I think we need to make this uh, more paramount on our show. I mean, I think we do it naturally, but I think it needs to be more ingrained as a, as a regular thing that we have to start to highlight some of these characters. And even as, because, you know, these characters come about and you, you, you see them as you're reading them, especially if you're, you know, going through the comic books as opposed to maybe the movies. So I'm reading, I'm reading Iron Man, and I notice there's a, there's a storyline where there's an African-American college student that uh, is literally building an Iron Man suit of armor in her dorm. That she's some kind of engineering student, some kind of wonderkind genius. Um, and I'm just reading it like it's normal, and I'm not realizing, wait a minute, this is like another thing. So uh, I think Iron Man number nine, you know, they're always re- re- renaming or uh, putting up different numbers, which is kind of an annoyance. We, we spoke about this. Uh, so this is Iron Man number nine. And um, on the cover, they have her in costume. I don't think it's really a feminine-looking costume, so maybe they might, you know, or maybe they might not. I don't know what they'll do. Uh, let's go to Daryl about this. I think we might have mentioned this before, but I really want to go a little deeper into this. What do you think is going on here, um, Daryl? Um, I think it's a positive, but I'm already hearing murmurs of of folks who are somewhat dissatisfied and, and not who you would think. I looked at it as, okay, it's Bendis doing Bendis again, and this is a direct ripoff of Steel. That's That's how I look at it. And, and and Steele's daughter, Natasha Irons. Because remember, folks, Natasha Irons, Steele's daughter over at D.C., she had a suit of armor that she built underneath his knowledge, you know, unbeknownst to him, and then she debuted, and she was the female Steele for a, a, a little while, okay? So essentially Marvel has got a, a, a smart college-age African-American, or at least black, uh, female inventor who created her own Iron Man suit. But for those people who said this ain't possible, remember, Tony Stark's secrets have been leaked to, onto the net more, than, more than, than times than I could count. Remember Armor Wars? His information's out there, so it, it's possible uh, to, to, to look it up and... and and create your own, all right? She was inventive enough to do that. So from that standpoint, I can't hate on this. But from my standpoint, I've already seen it done with Natasha Irons. I w- the challenge is now, hey, Brian, you introduced this thing, along with Mary Jane possibly being in a, a superhero suit of her own, all right? It's time, okay, it's a cool visual, fill in the story. Give me a, a plausible story behind it. That's your challenge, sir. Back to you, Afrina. Again, just to give out um, correct information, Natasha is the niece of uh, Steele. She's the daughter of his brother, Clay. Um, but I mean, I, I, I don't. I didn't really get that connection. I guess. I guess you make you have a point that. Uh, you're saying that this Riri Williams is analogous to Natasha Irons? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah I, that, but this is where it's the writer's job now because we see 
uh, homage, uh, homages, homages, homages. Anyway, we homages. we see illusion, yeah, homages of uh, illusions between the two companies all the time. Now, where does where does Riri become not just an illusion, but a character on her own? You know, that's Bendis's job here. Okay, I guarantee no one looked at it the way I looked at it. Because, hey, hey, I think a little bit differently. I saw this, and I was like, okay, so Marvel got a Natasha Irons right now. All right, that's cool. Now let's make her, instead of a two-dimensional character that's been able to do this, let's make her into a character into her own right. That's, that's Bendis' job. Now... You brought up some of the, the, the arguments and stuff against it, and I go like, so wait a second. And that's why I said, you folks all forgot Armor Wars. You folks all forgot, uh, what was it, Extremists, where they revealed that Tony Stark's secrets, every time this dude messes up with the company, his secrets got spread everywhere where anybody could possibly make his stuff. Hell, when he was director of S.H.I.E.L.D., they had a, a hacker that revealed some of his suits' things. Hell, Norman Osborn actually had his suits. You know, so his, his information to make the tech is out there. She just did it. So if your standpoint is, oh, she couldn't create this stuff, well, yeah, if she's inventive enough, and we obviously just saw she's inventive enough. But if you are still denying so voraciously, for, uh, vicariously, if you're denying this so vicariously, since you look in the mirror, because the secrets are out there, right? The secrets are out there. What's your problem with her creating her own Iron Man suit? Huh. Maybe you should look deeper into yourselves there, arguers. Back to you, Afrinerd. Uh, you know, I saw this in the Bleeding Cool. Shout out to the UK Bleeding Cool website. And I, what happened was, you know, they were revisiting this issue. Um, and then I saw the comments, commenters, and the commenters were saying things like, well, this is pandering. Now, this is what I, I get a little bit ticked off, that when you see these characters of color being developed, all of a sudden there seems to be the argument that this is tantamount to pandering. Um, I don't think it's pandering uh, channeling what, Daryl B. has just said, if they go deeper into this person's story. Uh, Claire, what are your thoughts about, about this? And, and also, um, I just happened to take note that this uh, La Borinquena character uh, is kind of a, a mascot, a mascot slash real comic book for the upcoming Puerto Rican Day Parade, which is a, uh, it's an event in New York. And they actually have uh, a fetching law student who looks pretty close, I mean, looks really close to the, the drawn character, so she's going to be on the float. Um, Stephanie Yanez, who is a graduate from the University of um, California, Berkeley School of Law. So, I mean, they, you know, I, I find it a good thing that communities are getting behind this thing, that everybody has the need to, to display their hero according to their culture. So, and she's Afro-Bariqua, so... Uh, and I'll get into that in a moment as well. But what, what are your thoughts about, and this is something that goes on all the time with us, when he's, this is a new character and all of a sudden people are hemming and hawing, talking about your pandering and political correctness and so forth. 
What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, this is going to be an uphill battle every step of the way. It's always going to be a fight. Because um, I, whenever I, uh, whenever I see, you know, evidence of characters established, okay, established characters being flipped in terms of their gender or their race, then, you know, people think, well, yeah, shouldn't you be happy? I mean, yeah, no, I'm not, because that's a handout. It, it, it's hollow, you know, because, like I, and I mentioned this before, you know, I mentioned this before, and I'm not trying to knock um, things that we've seen in terms of the film aspect of it, where we'll have a black Heimdall or now a black, you know, Valkyrie or black Nick Fury or whatever. Whatever, you know, I'm not trying to knock that, and I'm not trying to knock this whole DC rebirth where, you know, we have different iterations of, um, you know, an Asian Superman or, you know, different, you know, different characteristics coming into play with very well-established characters, which Marvel has also done as well, flipping race and gender and whatnot. I personally don't get excited about that. Because it's still theirs. You know what I'm saying? It's still very much theirs. And when I say theirs, you know what I'm saying. I'm saying white people. I mean, it's still their character. I mean, they own it. It's It belongs to them. It's just on loan. You know? It's not in any way legitimate to me. We're just borrowing it. So... In terms of this, I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm a little on the fence. Okay, I'm a little on the fence, but I do see this as to be the only real, you know, avenue that we can take is that we create new characters, you know. I mean, of course, people are going to be hemming and hawing and calling, a, you know, a foul, saying that it's pandering uh, because these new characters are probably going to have a similar power set as someone else that has already been long since established. So even though it's a new character, they're still going to find a way to say, oh, it's not as good as Tony Stark, or Miles Morales isn't as good as Peter Parker, or Kamala Khan isn't as good as um, as Captain Marvel. Oh, God, I'm almost forgetting her name. Carol, Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers, right. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's frustrating. I guess what's going I'm sorry, go ahead. But I, I, I mean, I, I know that it's it's a good thing, it's a positive thing that we are starting to create new characters. But I just, this is exactly why sometimes I can't even deal with the comment section because of all the venom and the hate and, you know, people just immediately crapping all over it. I mean, give it a chance, for goodness sakes. I mean, you know, you you've all had your your time in the sun for a good 80, 90 years. I mean, is anybody else allowed to play in the sandbox? But I don't that's think the funny. So. That, but that's the funny thing. You could say you're tired of it, but these movie studios will go, we can't, we, we can't do a Miles Morales again. But, again, rumor, oh, but we'll take Gank from him, and all of a sudden now Peter's got a best friend, and we'll turn Gank in from Asian to white. You know, hey, never mind that Peter's quote-unquote best friend was uh, Mr. Osborne. 
Yeah, you know, like, or, or, you know, beaten to death. Exactly, you know, they go like, who we all know, Osborne Jr., essentially what he did, Harry, was be Peter's friend just so Peter could take his, uh, use his homework to help him pass. And, you know, no, 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 we can't use that anymore. We're going to just, you know, we can't use Miles Morales, but we'll take his best friend to be Peter's new best friend. You know, uh, just uh, sometimes, you, sometimes as as a, a dude of color, and you see some of these moves the studios make, you know, like okay, so you're not gonna give me the main meal, but you're gonna steal the little like peas off of my plate to add to yours. How fair is that? Sorry, had to get that off the chest. Afrona, let's let's hear for the captain, Cap. Um, you know, this pandering issue. Uh, I think you're always going to hear this, but I, th- I think what makes it a little bit more disturbing is that these are, for all intents and purposes, original characters. It's one thing, as what, Ka- as what Claire mentioned, that with the legacy characters, when you see that, well, you're just replacing um, old-school Mr. Terrific with new-school Mr. Terrific, and he happens to be African-American, um, or Adam, who I think they're bringing back now, Ryan Choi, uh, who I actually liked, and they killed him in a horrendous way in the, in the storyline of the Adam. Um, that they just, you know, the, the legacy white legacy character disappears, and then a minority character comes in to replace him. In this case, Riri Williams is just this college kid that might have been uh, what appears to be, I guess, admiring of Tony Stark, but she went on to do her own thing in a in a rather makeshift way in her dorm room. And she, you, you see in the storyline that she comes off kind of like um, a roguish character that, you know, they're trying to break into her her dorm, and she's like, F it. You know, they're like, as soon as they're almost there, almost as if this were cinematic, as soon as the, the school officials and the RA are trying to break into her, into her room, she says, F this, I'm out of here, and then she um, is able to get her, her armor working and just leaves. So we, we don't know what this what her story is going to be. It's, she's not exactly Iron Man. It's not like she's replacing. She's like her own thing. And they're still saying this is pandering. I think what's unsettling is anytime a person of color is interjected into this space, it's going to be a problem, even if the, even if the entrance is not the typical entrance. This is even a little different. Even this La Borinquena character, um, this is a separate thing altogether from an independent independent deal uh, to represent Puerto Rican pride that might end up being a Marvel character in some way. But, I mean, you know, this is – people don't like that either. So w- what's going on with the pandering when it's not the typical legacy, legacy racial gender flip? Cap? Well, well I'll leave that aspect to you guys. I want to come in there with this aspect. It's nice to talk about diversity, people of color, and these different type of books. It's real simple. Whatever you put out there, I'm going to borrow something from Daryl, you have to write it well. Now, there's certain books out there, I'm not going to call any names, I'm still giving them time. And I put it nicely, they're not up to snuff. Not up to snuff. They're not up to snuff. Some of this material, and I would say a good portion of it, it's not up to snuff. It has to be written well has to be written well and not lazy. 
and I'm not calling it out as of yet because because they are people of color. <laughs> they are people of color. I'm giving them a little time because sometimes things can start out a little slow and they get better after a while. Some of it, some of it is real good. You know, that's the reality of it. You have to write these books really well and not be lazy. And regardless of whatever you do, as AfroNerd said, people are going to say things regardless. That's just part of it. That's part of the course. Your skin is not tough. Don't bother. Stay underneath a rock. Forget about it. Shut your mouth. And you just take what the powers will be and decant it into your awareness. That's it. Back over to you, AfroNerd. Now, I got to mention this with the La Borinquena character. Because I, I found it interesting that uh, this goes into Plantation Olympics a little bit, Cap, <laughs> a little bit, in, in, a, in a good way. But the, 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 the creator of the character, um, the gentleman, uh, Mr. Rodriguez, um, he said that he purposely made the character Afro-Boricua. Because, you know, when you're dealing with the African diaspora and what's happening in the Caribbean and Central American and South American uh, cultures, that there's, there was a heavy Afro-African influence. But the telenovelas, and he even mentioned this, he said the telenovelas show a certain Euro-looking Latin person, and you very rarely see. The many, many of these countries are mostly black people of, 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 of Latin descent. But... Um, you wouldn't know it looking at the, the symbolism and, again, the, teleno, the, the telenovelas show something else. So he was being a little bit radicalized with this particular hero by saying, no, this is an afro Barico. She has the dark she said that he, he said she has the dark skin to show the African connection. He said, I wanted that to be put out, out in center. So I, I find that interesting that now we're at a time where people are really becoming radicalized, even with these comic book characters, that you just can't, you just can't put up something and it not ring somewhat authentic. Or, or it, has to, it has to deal with real life. It can't be just a symbol. So I, I guess I appreciated that. I've got I to get Mr. Miranda, Mr. Miranda um, Rodriguez on the show. He's a local dude, so um, I'll shout him out and get him on. To, to talk more about this uh, character, I think it's going to actually be released sometime in November. But for the purposes of the uh, Puerto Rican Day Parade, you're going to have Miss Yanez uh, actually don the costume and be on this float. So um, this comic book geek stuff is real. I, I think it, it just makes it more imperative that when we talk about communities of color n needing this stuff, it's just not kid stuff, is it? Claire, what, is, what do you think is going on now where it, it seems as if the geek culture, people need this. You know, the, for, for, for Puerto Ricans, um, especially New York, New York Ricans, we've got to get these superheroes out there. Everybody has to, be, has to have their thing now. It's being forced in a good way by, by us. What what are your thoughts about that, positive or negative? I don't know. I think it's I think it's great. I think it's great. I mean, I'm I'm just at a point now where I feel like, you know, having read so many of these arguments, you know, back and forth in terms of these characters of color and 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 the way people, you know, are so vigilant 
on both sides, whether they agree or disagree. Um, and you know how I feel. You know how I feel in terms of I'm tired of this word appropriation. Okay, I mean, we just talked about this just the other night, and not even just with with Asians, but with with anybody and everybody. I mean, it gets frustrating when you feel as though all of your 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 stories, your legacies, you know, the stuff that you hold near and dear is being is being profited from, but you're not allowed to participate. So it it, it just it gets frustrating. It it just gets irritating. I'm 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 a little I'm I'm exhausted by it. I don't know what to say anymore. I I don't even know if I have that much energy to be part of the fight, you know. I'm happy for anybody who is able to make any sort of headway in terms of creating um, positive influences, such as these new, you know, these new types of characters, that these new characters that can be inspirational and aspirational for people, for young, young people of color. I think that's fantastic. Especially, I mean, good for them. Good for them. I mean, everybody needs their thing, right? Everybody. I mean, not every Puerto Rican wants to be J-Lo or Rosie Perez or whatever. They want to have their version of a hero, of a superhero, you know, of someone that's highly intelligent who can make a difference on this on this planet. What, I mean, great. Good for them. Good for them. I don't know what's going to happen to this comic book series. You know, or if it's going to get you know picked up, or if it's going to have a full run. Um, the cat made a good point. The unfortunate thing about a lot of these is that, as we're all trying to get in the game, a lot of folks, I mean, they're new. They are new at this, and it might take a minute for them to get it off the ground, for them to find their legs, find their voice. And so sometimes those first few issues might not be that strong, you know compared to the other ones that have been around for decades. So, I mean, I I don't know. I don't know. You know me. I I, I can speak forever on, on the, uh, the theatrical, the cinematic side of it compared to the comic book side of it, but I'm just not sure what to, what to think anymore, you know. I just feel like <laughs> props to anybody who's able to push forward with this, but... If I'm to be truly honest, my heart of hearts might not even be, you know, might not even be in the fight as much just because I I know how hateful people are. We're going to be dealing with pushback no matter what. Well, you know? And like I'll, I said, if Asian I'll, people are not even allowed to play Asian, then yeah, you know, <laughs> what am I going to say? One quick thing, uh, I want to move along quickly. Um, again, I might have to utilize your opinion opinion on this. Uh, DC superhero girls. This is for young girls. Straight to DVD in August. And I just so happened. I mean, obviously it's not my thing, you know, because it's very juvenile. You know, you got to start from somewhere, and it emboldens. I know what what that's about. Also, it emboldens emboldens young girls um, into this culture. Whereas, you know, many years ago, this was really the for foray of young boys. So now the whole superhero thing is, is, has a, a young girl's version. So now we have this DVD coming out, animated feature, uh, for young girls, you could tell. Uh, 
they're younger versions of the legacy characters in some kind of high school or, or middle school setting. Uh, again, DC Superhero Girls, straight to DVD in August. And then there is that, that required, shout out to the late Dwayne McDuffie, who, who really peeped this for us in our conversation going back in, in 09, I think it might have been, um, right before he passed on, where he said that many of these animated efforts do well when it's, when it's incumbent upon the sales of the toys. The toys, with, with, with these properties being toyetic, how toy, toyetic can these properties be um, is really what makes them successful. So Target, the Target stores have the, these uh, dolls, the doll versions, the, 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 um, you know, the figurines, that are attached to the DC Superhero Girls DVD, and I noticed a couple of things. So I'm going to go back. Actually, let's go to Daryl and then back to Claire. Um, what are your thoughts about this? I mean, I know it's a good thing, but I already saw some stuff that I didn't like with the toys. Well, firstly, uh, back to the last thing, a quick question. If you remember, Black Nerd Problems uh, had something where they took offense to uh, Brian Bendis's uh, having Miles Morales react to a fangirl who was oh, right. going on about her, him being black, and Morales' first thing was, but I'm Latino too. This this thing with the parade in La Barroquina. Barroquina, thank you. Okay, this is a bad pronouncing day, obviously, for me. Um, this is what the, uh, that Bendis was trying to 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 establish that Morales is proud of both sides of his heritage and that oh it's not just cuz I'm black I'm latino too but but that that's what he was trying to do it may not have been well executed there but I think Edgar's comments about this here is what Bendis was trying to get over now with the superhero girls thing we run into this all the time okay Firstly, if you see the cast, you'll understand why some people might have problems with the cast. All right? Then you get to the toys. And when you have adults trying to design stuff for kids, there's always something that, 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 that just makes you go, this was not the smartest idea in the world. Uh, we, we all can agree to that. There's been toys put out for kids where, what are they thinking? All right? Whether it be color, whether it be over-sexualized, whether it be small parts, whether it be – there's any amount of things that could go wrong here. Now, you're judging that, you're judging that from the, uh, the side, and you're looking at it like, okay, I got to see the product. I got to see the end game. If you're going to say this is supposed to be empowering for young girls and stuff like that, then where is the backup? Where's the material? Where's the, you know, you know, don't just make this a cash grab. DC, Warner Brothers, you have put yourselves out there, okay? And just remember, it isn't just white little girls that are watching this. You got Latino. You got uh, black. You got Arabic. You, you got a a Asian. You got, so... These toys, you put yourself out on this island underneath a spotlight. Everybody's going to be paying attention. 
Just the word of warning. Back to you, Afro Nerd. Well, let, let me go into what I noticed. And, and, and actually, it, it's kind of a, I'm going to say it's somewhat even keeled in, in a way. Um, first of all, you know, you do see the characters being represented, but it's always going to be, you know, the predominant characters are, are, are white in this uh, DC heroes thing, DC superhero girls. Uh, Supergirl, Wonder Woman, uh, a Batgirl, those are, the, those are the main ones. And then you have the minority characters that are kind of just, you know, they're, they're sideline characters, which is unsettling. But maybe we'll see something different if, if, if you're able to see the movie. Um, the, the Bumblebee character, which I guess is analogous to the, uh, to the Wasp character in Marvel, who's diminutive, able to, you know, a, a size shifter. Um, they have a doll for her, and this is where I have to critique black people. Well, actually, critique everyone, even beyond black folks. I'm wondering, are white whites buying black dolls? Like, this is when you get in. This is when you get into the, the mentality of of this stuff. Um, are whites or blacks buying buying the black dolls? That's how screwed up the the conditioning is. Because I see the, the brown doll, and I'm wondering, are, are the black parents being informed enough for them to make sure that they buy that doll? And that, and that the kid actually wants the doll. The daughter wants the doll. Because we, I referenced the Kenneth, Kenneth Clark doll test going back to the 40s, uh, and it was, it was revisited a few years ago by a young um, high school student. And it, it, 70 years... 70 years in between, and the results are the same. The young children of color recoil off of, over dolls that look like them. You know, and the, 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 the white doll is always more, uh, is the operative doll. And this is a very psychological thing going on. They're, they're, you're getting cues, kids are getting cues, and have been getting cues at a very early age. So when I saw the, the black doll, the bumblebee doll, I'm thinking that, I thought the doll looked cool. I'm not into dolls, obviously, but I thought the doll looked cool. I would hope that uh, girls, black or white, and everyone else, that if you're going to collect dolls, you just collect dolls. You shouldn't have, like, this preference thing. But that, that's probably going to work itself in there. And then I also saw, mysteriously, that the Katana doll, which is a doll of Asian descent, wasn't even there. But she's in the story. Now, I'm saying, okay, well, she's a knife wielder. Maybe there's some issues with some kind of miniature knife. I don't know, but I, I just find it a little bit too convenient that that doll is missing. So I, so I have to worry about who's buying the black doll, because this is, this, is, this is a thing for some reason. When it comes to this toys and, and, and toys in color, even with, even with the babes, that black doll might not get bought, and they're not even considering the Asian doll. And the fact that I'm even talking about race and uh, inanimate objects is troubling, but symbolism seems to be seems to be seems to be everything. Uh, I want to give Claire a break for a moment. Um, let's go to the captain on the business tip. Are, are black parents emphasizing the need to get these dolls? There's a whole psychological psychological component. You know, I spoke about this um, with one of uh, uh, my favorite films that Harry Belafonte and John Travolta starred in, going back almost 20 years. Um, white man's burden, and at, at, looking at that film in the theater, 
even my conditioning was was affected. I, I looked at a white a white uh, actor, young white child actor, holding a black doll because the story was what if the power dynamic between the races was reversed. And I saw a white kid with a black superhero doll, and he had he loved that doll. And I said, wow, that's that's freaky. And then I said, wait a minute, but black kids carry white dolls all day long. No one thinks that's freaky. That's normalized. I'm, not get, I'm getting a little bit deep here, but it's called Afro Radio. Um, Cap, what are your thoughts about what I'm talking about? Financially. Well, well our parents, are black parents really emphasizing this? I should say, let me just repeat. Do you think black parents are, are going to be sophisticated enough for them to point to that Bumblebee doll? Well, here's the thing with this. I know 10 years ago, they really were not, based on my empirical evidence. You know, when I would go to people that, that had kids and everything else and the type of dolls, I was paying attention, definitely paying attention. I didn't really see it like that. But I'm seeing it more now with the people that I see with kids, black, you know, black people with black kids. They do definitely have black dolls. They also have some white dolls also. I've even seen... The Latin, the Latin people, they have, somehow, they, you know, they find them where they say, okay, you know, this doll here represents, you know, the Puerto Rican kid or what have you, the Puerto Rican child. And I've seen that too. So more awareness is abound at this given time in respect to that. Ten years ago, you didn't see that. It was white straight across the board. <laughs> yeah. Now, even with people with what we call the multicultural, you know, they don't like to call their kids mixed, you know. They feel that's for dogs, you know. <clears throat> multicultural children, they are instituting, from what I've seen, the ones that I know, all right, this is not scientific evidence, this is empirical evidence, that they're getting different type of dolls. They'll go ahead and say, okay, here's a black one. Here's, you know, here's a white one. Here's someone, what they consider in-between. I don't know where they're finding these in-between dolls. I know you can find plenty of black dolls and also white dolls. I guess there's a place, you know. And I don't know what Asian people are doing. I don't know what they're doing. And, in, in, you know, I don't know. That, that's something I'd have to look into because I have access to that. I have access to a lot of those, a lot of uh, Asian people. So it would be something for me to look into. And that's a good point to make. But I think people are getting the message more so than they are than they were ten years ago in respect for that. But I haven't, you know, I don't have the actual financial data, you know, the scientific data on what's going on in society in respect for that. Back over to you, Afrobert. I'll say I think younger, uh, enlightened, educated parents, uh, they're they're doing this. I think, and also as far as like the 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 dolls of of varied varied ethnicities. There's a business, a business for that. Actually, I think it's a thriving business if you're shrewd enough. There's a few people that special that that um, specialize in ethnic dolls. So, again, just like there's an Afro nerd, <laughs> but we kind of hone in on a specific strain of of nerd culture. There, there are ethnic dolls, and I think there's a few of them that are becoming quite successful for those who are enlightened. May I will tell? I will even say, enlightened. Hipster white folks also also are buying these varied dolls, but I think the mainstreaming of it is going to be what's at issue. 
I don't know how sophisticated these people are. Um, well, we that's can see the rise of Donald Trump. We can see the rise of Donald Trump, and uh, we, we, we see there's a lot of folks that are still knuckle-draggers, obviously. Yeah, but, Darryl, but, Darryl? but that's where – this is where Warner Bros. and DC have to pay attention to what Lego has been doing. You know, the Lego movies, uh, it, it's made for kids, but it's all ages. You know, and then, then off of the success of the movie and how smartly written the movies have been featuring Batman, Justice League, and hell, even their own Lego movie, which had characters from every, like, universe you could possibly name, you know, the, the way they writ, uh, wrote it and stuff got the appeal to the, 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 the parents as well as the kids, where the parents weren't, oh, I can't buy this for you, or oh, da da da. See, I know, like, Female Teen Titans fans will pick up a Bumblebee doll if they like if they like the you know if they like the show for their kid. It'll be a bonding moment between between the the mom or the dad and the daughter. Like this was a character that was created when I was reading it younger, and 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 I'm glad to see it come through. And it's actually a character of color, you know. I I could see that happening. But offhand, this is where, again, it's incumbent on the people doing the movie or doing the series or doing the comics that will eventually be combined to this to get it to appeal to everybody where you're not feeling to buy it out of shame or obligation or just ignore it completely. You know, you're supposed to be prodded here to get it. Back to you, Afrenard. All right, uh, Claire. Um, <laughs> I wanted to give you a break on this one, but I, I actually tweeted this out to you because I noticed, you know, I'm looking up, because I'm researching this stuff, and again, I, you know, I'm not, it's not my demographic to look at DC superhero girls. If it was even an older, an older version, I would be all over it. But it's for, it's for young girls. But I happen to see the Target, you know, the Target, um, fran- the Target franchise uh, merchandising element and I'm looking at all the, the dolls, and I see that Katana's missing. <laughs> so I thought of you. <laughs> That's a role you should be doing. <laughs> but, um, and Katana, and I, again, Katana's going to be a major figure in Suicide Squad. There's no doll for her? Well, well, I, think that's, I mean, that's two different demographics in terms of age, you know, certainly in age. Um, yeah, exactly. But... I mean, I just don't even know what to tell you, you know. I appreciate the fact that you thought of me. That's so sweet. I mean, <laughs> it shows that you're very conscientious. It shows that, you know, you give a damn about people of color that aren't necessarily black. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't have children, and thank goodness for that. Because, man, it would be such a struggle trying to, you know, convince my child, you know, that you are beautiful, that you are, you are you can be strong, you can be intelligent, you can take the lead, you can do amazing things. It would be very difficult to try to every day remind my kids of this when every day the world convinces them that they don't exist. So I don't know what well. to tell you. I don't know what to say. I don't, I mean, not to, I don't want to get ugly about it, but I just don't even care. 
I don't even care anymore. When it comes to, you know, stuff like this, you know, toys, merchandising, action figures, I mean, I'm not shocked. Why would I be shocked? We can't even play Asian. I'm going to stress this because I don't think people fully understand how absurd it is when it is a long-standing tradition that Asians are not even allowed to play Asian characters. That's pretty big right there, okay? That That's pretty effing big right there. So everything else, everything else, well, that's just icing on a very, you know, awful cake. I, I just like, yeah, and... Oh, so we've been excluded again? Oh, really? You know, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Hell, I was even surprised that Katana was going to be in Suicide Squad. I mean, she's probably not going to say anything. You know? Just wield her sword. You know? Be a badass. I And I should be so grateful for that. But I don't know. I don't know what more to say. I feel like well, we I'm have... just constantly harping on the issue, and I just feel like nobody cares. Obviously. Well, well first of all, <laughs> the gang at Afrinor cares. But there are other people that care. And I think, I think you know, sometimes we can be in our own head. We have a call. I'm going to go to the call in a moment. We can be so in our heads that we're not realizing that progress is being made, but progress is a slow thing. Let me repeat that. Progress is a slow thing. And... Um, you know, I will say this: when I was when I was growing up, my father had to make he had to make some make some of these things happen. So that's really so. What you're saying is, uh, all of us have been there, and some of many of us are still there with you with trying to get the correct representation. There's always something off. I know that that you see quite a few high profile black people, and it may appear that okay, well, black folks are finally getting their due. But it comes with a caveat. It comes with, with, with minstrelsy. It comes with inaccuracy. Uh, it comes with people like Snoop Dogg cursing and high on, in, endo, uh, on endo, lamenting about slavery films when he himself portrays a slave in the modern era. That's just my own opinion. Anyway, um, so what I tell you is that you're going to have to make it happen like my father made it happen for me. When I'll just say this quickly, and I'll go to the call. I might have mentioned this on air, that uh, when I was a kid, the Oracle, who who was my father, the, the tangential producer of the show. The Oracle, it's so funny that, that I think about this so many years ago. But when I was a kid, uh, when it came down to Christmas and you had that door ornament, and it was a door ornament with, of the face of Santa Claus, white Santa Claus, my father painted that face ornament, ornament brown and put it on front of the, front of the door of, of, of the house. So... Uh, I did. You know, I, I knew what he. I guess this happened when I was like five, and I knew why he did it. And it, it obviously it stuck. It still stays with me to this day. So as a parent, my father had to make had to, had to make these things happen. So when you talk about having your 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 future child, you will have to do these things on your own. You're going to have to actually make the physical changes. You're going to have to do the research. You're going to have to. Go to eBay. You're going to have to go to some of these these specialty stores because they're out there. Um, I to this day have to go to specialty stores 
to get certain things that I don't see. Or you may have to do some makeshift stuff because this is a white culture, and they're not thinking of you. <laughs> That's how it works. White, as you say so masterfully, white is the default positioning when it comes down to hero worship. Uh, I, I saw things when they first started putting some of these, these characters of color out there. I saw some commenters a few years. This goes back a couple of years now. And I know that Daryl knows this implicitly because you, you and I have gone back and forth about this. When they were started, when you start, when they were starting to actually put more of these minority characters—I can say black characters specifically—the white fanboys would say, "Well, that's that's unnatural. Uh, I can't see white uh, black people as heroes." This is what they this is what they would say. It made them it made them uneasy. You know, a black Kryptonians. What, what's up? What's that? Let me go to the. Fo- <laughs> so I'm with you, sis. Trust me. Uh, that's why you're here. There's a commonality of spirit. Four eight four. Welcome to the Grindhouse. I think this is our friend Q. Yeah, you know, I was just, I was just uh, listening. I, I hadn't planned on uh, it, it automatically put me in the host queue, but uh, I'm happy to to uh, to chime in. I, I was, I've been listening for the last forty five minutes, and I just wanted to say, uh, Clara's on fire tonight. So um, there you go. Yeah, well, listen, oh, well, you, hey, you hey, well, Q, you, you can talk about this. Per- you can talk about this personally, Q, because you remember you and I went back and forth a little bit. Um, I think a little bit of Plantation Olympics. I say that affectionately. But with this this toy, this costume with your with, with uh, for your child for Finn. Oh yeah, right, right, right. You know, no. Well, that was just. Um, I was a little peeved that um, you know we had. Um, we had a black character in Star Wars. It was a, obviously a man with uh, distinct Afrocoid features, and yet the model on the cover of the costume was very light skin. Uh, not that I have Stephon, a problem. Stephon Curry, Stephon Curry's little boy. Go ahead. <laughs> wow. Okay. Not that I have any problem with. Um, I don't think I played Plantation Olympics either, unless I feel like it, you're not being representative. Of the of the source image or the source material, so you know, I want my model on the cover to look like Finn because you know, let's be honest, dark skinned actors don't have it as easily as light skinned actors in Hollywood. So, yeah, but that, that's that. yeah, but at the same time, whenever I see a dark skinned cosplayer uh, on sites like Comics Alliance and and thing, the they're like. Oh, oh, here, uh, like, perfect example. Had a beautiful African woman play Wonder Woman, all right? Had the costume that looked like a Wonder Woman Xena hybrid, all right? All I saw was beauty. Oh, something about the costume ain't right. And I'm like, in the text it says that she's a fan of both Wonder Woman and Xena. It's her way of true, uh, like uh, a combination of both. So it isn't going to be exactly right on each way. He's like, yeah, but someone like that shouldn't. I went like, hold up. Go like, someone like that. Go like, okay, freeze a second. What is wrong with this black woman playing a Wonder Woman Xena hybrid? Oh, I didn't mean it in that way, and that's when the the you know the defenses come up. I didn't mean it that way, but you just said someone like that. What you want a man playing her? 
what? Uh, what? Uh, and all of a sudden, the person left the chat. You know, that's the sort of thing when it comes to modeling these costumes, getting these dolls where it's not the traditional thing. This is the type of thinking we still fight with. You know, and we do it to ourselves too. Don't get me wrong. Like, like Afro Nerd and Q just said, Plantation Olympics. But there's a stigma there that certain people can't play certain people when it comes to costumes. Hey, they're costumes. Anybody can wear a costume. All right, just like anybody could be a doll. Anybody could be an action figure. We just gotta get our minds out of this stuck, uh, stick in the mud thinking. Well, you know something else, Daryl, that, that uh, we have to commend the cosplayers. And I don't understand, well, I should say, I should stop saying that. I understand where that's coming from. We, we know why and where that's coming from. But the reality is, is that when you do the cosplayer thing, there's a lot of room for creativity. You see uh, steampunk Iron Man. You see gender bending. You, know, that you, you might see a, a female version of Captain America or a, female, or, or a male version of Storm. So I mean that you for cosplaying cosplaying there there is room for you to do whatever you want to do, and even in that world someone will critique it as not canon. I mean, there's no canon in cosplaying, but it 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 is a jolt to the sensibilities of the power structure, and that's what's going on. Even in quote unquote, and I say affectionately, even in quote unquote goofy comic book stuff, which really isn't that goofy. Uh, you see people have an invested interest in imagery, and with that imagery is a, is a brown, black, yellow, or red representation of their, of their wheelhouse, they get very upset. They don't want you playing in their reindeer games. That's what it's really all about. Um, more groove, folks. Again, this is the Grindhouse. I get, when we get back, actually I want to delve into this deal with the – the Injustice trailers. We have the Injustice trailer, and we also have the Watch Dogs trailer. Um, and, then, and there's also the Battlestar Galactica uh, movie by the Hunger Games director, Francis, Lu- Lu- uh, Francis Lewis. Francis Lawrence. Um, I don't know if I like the Hunger Games anywhere near my Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> I think we might have to go into that first. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm not feeling that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Katniss on the Battlestar Galactica ship. I think Claire's already, I think I already hear her screaming. Anyway, uh, uh, New Grooves, Change the World by Deshaun X. Change the World, what we're attempting to do here at Afro Radio. We'll be right back. Let's groove. Nobody gon' stop 
stop us No It's you and me, baby Oh, yeah And we gonna change the world Yes, we are, baby Said we gon' change the world, babe. Let's get married and start a family. Have a little. myself from that bluesy groove Deshaun X changed the world changed the world I see there's a lot of pretenders to the throne <laughs> and folks know what I mean but uh, I search out for the real deal unfortunately you're not going to get that kind of groove on conventional radio it's just not going to happen but there's quite a few talented people all over the place um, you know I honestly felt I'm pretty sure Q Stormer might might be in agreement that music died when our boy died but there's folks still trying to do it um, we will see in the next couple of weeks with BET's Prince Tribute. Uh, I'm going to be looking with a keen eye to see the pretenders to the throne. They better not F that up or hell is going to be paid. Let me break you on this. I've been hearing stories. They have some folks in attendance. Uh, there's going to be a lot of varied tributes for our boy, but um, BET spoke a lot of smack after the Billboards Award with Madonna. So we, we will see. Um, I, 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 thoughts on I think that? they I think they did a good, from what I remember, I think they did a pretty good job when they gave him the Lifetime Achievement Award. It was about four years yes. ago. So, That's true. So, you know, 
I, I think Janelle Monet performed in that, didn't she? And she gave the best performance. But yeah, my point being that you know, I think he hopefully he'll be in good hands. His spirit yeah, will be in good hands it, at least. But this time it matters. I know how some of us get down, Q. This is we forget BET. That's Minstrel Central. That's Minstrel Headquarters. So I have to look at them with a with a peely eye as to what they're going to do after they said, "Yeah, we saw that." I'm just referencing. This is exactly what they said, talking about the Billboard Awards with the Madonna performance. Yeah, we saw that. We got you. All right. All right. BET has never gotten me. So, <laughs> you know. Um, What's the gentleman over there, uh, Q, Stephen Stephen Hill? I saw him walking around yeah. uh, Afropunk last year. I, I think Daryl was with me, actually. I might have even – I think I mentioned him when we were there. And I said, what's he doing here? And then I saw his Instagram after that, and he said he was shocked to see, wow, Afropunk's really pretty cool. This is where all the hip black people are at. Uh, I never saw any inkling, inclination that you would have that on your show, sir. Afropunk's not going to be at BET. So, hey, so for him he didn't even say, mention it. He did not mention it the next time he was on BET. So, no. hey, you thought it was a cool time to put the tweet out, but you didn't mention it at all. As far as BET is concerned, Afropunk doesn't exist. MTV, even MTV gave a 30-second blurb on it, and that was because of D'Angelo and the Roots and later on. They put something on their site. But according to BET, Afropunk didn't exist. But that's where all the cool black people are. Isn't that who you want to pay attention to your freaking network? Don't you want them to come over? How about doing a live remote at Afropunk BET? Would that be possible? No. I'm thinking too hard, right? And, and, and I gotta, I gotta say this to uh, Claire, Claire Lene personally, because I, I hear her emoting and that kind of thing. Uh, that <laughs> when it comes to what we want to see uh, as folks of color, and I tell you on the black side of things, that when when you see a, a tunnel opening, there are invested interests to keep that co- that tunnel closed. So, and I can tell you this again: you have an executive. Stephen Hill from BET, at Afropunk, which is Urban Alternative Central, and he says in wonderment, wow, this is, this is not what I thought it was. These people are pretty cool. None of this ever disseminates to BET. But the man who represents BET, he's at Afropunk and doesn't know what he's seeing. So when, when, you, when we go back to what you're looking for as far as all of us are looking for, uh, even on the Asian side of things, these people are invested in keeping things a certain way. Donald Trump is a re- reflective of that. We see that. The real hatred is coming out. That boil don't tell me, is coming to Don't a, tell me that stupid mm-hmm. excuse that, oh, well, the reason why we have to do this, that, and the other is because we have to accommodate the Chinese market. Don't give me that nonsense. People need to stop saying that. Why are you trying to convince me that the reason why you're doing X, Y, and Z is because you're accommodating people that you are so hell-bent on not representing? D- didn't, you see, didn't you see that thing? I think I said that to you also, the deal. This is kind of off topic, but not really. That, there, that there's um, a storyline that they want to have uh, Leonardo DiCaprio play. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. I mean, it's, one yeah, thing, it's one thing you got Jake Gyllenhaal trying to play Prince of Persia, Persia. okay? 
a video game. That was a video game, by the way. But <laughs> Go ahead. we're talking about an actual person who lived, someone who actually existed. And they want now, Leonardo wanna... DiCaprio? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and right away people said, uh, what was that? They have a hashtag for that, too, also. Some hashtag, some hashtag, almost like an Oscar so white thing. Uh, yeah, roommate right. wasn't white. <laughs> yes, that no, was funny. what it was. No, it's funny. Um, real quick, I googled Stephen Hill, and there's a picture of him. He's in a uh, Shazam T-shirt. So, does that make him a blur? It seems like if he is, you'd think he would be aware of Afropunk and you know that 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 there are more lanes that we're playing. No, he was at he was at Afropunk. I saw the guy. I was actually going to talk to him, and I said I almost didn't believe it was him. I, he passed me, and I was going to go into I was going to go into my spiel, and I saw him. and I said something said nah, because I felt like I, I don't want to explain. I mean, maybe they, if he's there this year, I will talk to him. I mean, I spoke to Nelson. Well, we had Nelson George on the show, but I spoke to Nelson George and Reginald Hudlin at New York Comic Con because they're blurs. I mean, you know. Uh, Russell Hudlin was there with Stephen Hill at BET a few years ago. But when those checks are good, you know, but we'll have, you know, Russell Hudlin said in a uh, instant message that he'll come on the show. So, you know, we'll have some celebrities. I've been lazy about it somewhat, but we'll, we'll push the celebrities to get on the show. We'll, we do what we have to do. But some of these people, are, it's, it's frustrating because you, then I, can go into, yeah, I can go into a whole bunch of things with folks that are, are there that could actually change things, and that awareness isn't necessarily there. I got a beef with Aisha Tyler. That she, she uh, has a very successful podcast. She's she's on. She plays uh, Lana on the on the equally successful Archer TV series, which might actually get a live action adaptation. And she could be a person that could usher in the blurred movement more succinctly. But I, I don't know if the awareness is there. You know, we, a lot, lot of us are invested in white white folks' stuff. We are. Well, that's where the Michelle Rodriguez statement comes back into play again. See, the problem is, the problem is, it's been what seven months since Michelle Rodriguez made that statement, and you had a bunch of black entertainers and black blurs in a high-ranking place saying, "No, that ain't true. That ain't true." Well, it's been seven months. How much movement have we made? See, the lack of movement proves her right. You know, we all know she's right to an extent, but the way some people attacked her voraciously about the comments, and again, we look at it from a blurred standpoint, but we could look at music, movies, go straight across the board everywhere. You need to make those steps forward, and that's the problem. We don't make those steps forward. And even now, we're about to bring up Battlestar, where the last series of Battlestar made those steps forward, where this movie, you're putting in the hands of a creator where we can argue those took steps back in terms of diversity. Well, let's get into that. Now, the, the Battlestar Galactica um, sci-fi series, which ran for, what, about four years, I believe, um, that was so heavily applauded or lauded. Um, I mean, just stellar performances. And, again, you had a captain of Latin descent, uh, almost, um, 
I mean, yeah, this was a multi-racial, multi-layered, heavy-duty. For sci-fi, uh, I mean, it, to, to translate what was really an excellent TV series to a movie, let's, let's see if the BS begins. Let's see if the BS begins, because we can't go to, to the Long Green version. You know, and actually, Long Green, there's some aspects of Long Green, to be respectful, they had some multiracial stuff going on there, too, but not the way that it worked itself out on the sci-fi series. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts about, about their, this need to make this into a movie? And will it have anything to do with the TV series, or will they change it in a different direction again? I, I think they would have to go back to the beginning again and show you the conflict. Uh, for a movie, you can't get too deep into the history. You've got to go right into the action. The problem is when you have the show so well done like the remake was, the remake was so well done, and it, it added colors and layers that weren't there before. You know, Outs- you you could say the TV show was was uh, the original was diverse, but outside of Boomer and that one black ensign that you saw every so often, and a few Instant, planets, yeah. you know, that you didn't really get that. The TV show, you had a person of diversity on every show somewhere. You had, it was diverse as heck. You, you had women in strong roles, not just strong roles, but, hey, remember all those people that had a problem with a female Starbucks? How quickly did those, those arguments go away? During that first season, like, holy crap, they're actually taking a female character here. Here's the problem. When you're remaking this, and it's so fresh in our minds, how are you going to improve upon that? (laughs) Hell, we went from a black boomer to an Asian female boomer that was also a Cylon. Sorry, folks, I just spoiled that for you if you never saw the show. And... They managed in all of her copies to give each one a distinct personality that was insane. One ca- that was Orphan Black before Orphan Black. That's what Boomer was. Because each version of Boomer, you went from nurturing Boomer to devious Boomer to to ruthless Boomer to uh, to a smart Boomer to. Uh, uh, and you never knew which boomer you were talking to at any given time. This is some great TV that they did here. But the problem is, the problem is, when you tell me we're going to reboot this, and then the person you're telling me is rebooting this is the one who did Hunger Games. No! Just no! And again, I can be totally wrong. This can be totally in-depth, but I can only tell you what my first reaction was seeing it. I yelled out loud. I'm on the bus heading to work. I'm looking down at my phone. I see this, and I screamed out, no! People thought I was crazy! I could only tell you what my honest reaction was. I don't like this. Again, uh, I'm in the business of living to be proved wrong. If you're going to do this, prove me wrong. But, wow, I was just like, no. Back to you, Afrenard. Okay, a couple of things. Uh, Grace Park is the actress that now is in, um, uh, what you call Hawaii it? Hawaii Five-0. Hawaii Five-0. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> Anything she's in, I pay attention to. <laughs> okay. Uh, and also, the other young lady who I also pay attention to, who was in Hemlock Grove, uh, Candy McClure from, of South African descent. That's the lone black officer you made reference to. Um, no, no, Anastasia no. Duwala. Anastasia yeah, I'm not talking Duwala. about the. Yeah, I'm not talking about the new one. I'm talking about the old series. Oh yeah, they yeah, yeah. He's a, a black actor. I just can't remember her name. I know about Candy. That definitely Candy, right. but 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 it was the older actress I didn't know. Well, Edward James Olmos is the uh, who we know as the detective in um, Blade Runner. Um, I mean, he's a phenomenal actor anyway. I mean, there was there were some things that were groundbreaking. Heck, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen the Blood and Chrome series that was on YouTube, which I thought was pretty, as far as CGI and, and you know, kind of making tra- the transition from from sci-fi to even a YouTube series. I I would have liked to have seen more of that. It, it, you know, uh, that's why I Capri- wanted Caprica to be. I even like. I even like. Listen, I was into the. I was a Battlestar Galactica person. There's even even Caprica I even tolerated. Even Caprica, even tried. Eric Stoltz is a is a phenomenal actor. You know, going back to Mask, and, and when he was with uh, Cher, so you know, there were some things they were doing with Caprica, and I, I don't know. I mean, there were there were gender things going on, sexuality things. They were they were pushing the envelope on sci-fi through through Battlestar Galactica. How will that play its role? I mean, Trisha Helfer and, and all these actors. Uh, Katie Sackhoff, I mean, you're going to forget these people? I, and I'm a little nervous about any, any talk of a movie if they're not going to just bring BCG from, from TV. They might as well just bring that to, t- to, to the movies. I hope. Well, this is, where Cap, this is where I have to have the question for Cap. Cap, what is your ideal time to remake something into a movie? Like what? What do you feel would be the ideal time where you won't have like us longing for the old series back, and we could accept it? What would be your ideal time before a remake? I don't think there's so much of an ideal time, you know, from the standpoint. It's when these guys say, "Okay, we ran out of another. We ran out of uh, more ideas. <laughs> Let's get them back into this, man." Come on, man. Come on. That's how it's done, man. That's why you see so many remakes. That's how it's done. They have an hourglass running, a <laughs> 15-minute glass, not even an hourglass, and they go, oh, okay, we ran out of that. Let's, what, what, what we got? Oh, why don't we, why don't we do something original? To, ah, no, we can't. Let's look at our list. Oh, we got Battlestar Galactic. Let's do that. <laughs> Come on. Let's see how we're going to make it work. Oh, we need a top flight, you know, actor or actress, and let's throw them in a movie. That's it. That's what's going on. <laughs> I don't think there's a time. I really do well, not well, think there's a time. <laughs> well, well, to be honest, to be, be honest, some, quite some time has passed. If you, go, if you go by when this thing first aired, between December 2003 and 2004, that's 12 years. And it, it stopped airing in 2009. Which is seven years. So, you know, by the time this actually we actually see this, it, it it will be maybe damn near ten years since it went off the air. So that that might be about the time time that we would need. I think what we're, what you're really asking is, will it be good? 
and the fact that this was so good and groundbreaking that even though some time has passed, it's very much in our minds. Long Green and all those cats have long since gone. And I have affection for that series, but it, it's, it's not in my memory the way this is. Yeah, but like I said, it's a, it's a tricky question. I mean, I I I began the show talking about how Voltron surprised me on Netflix. Again, I recommend Voltron. And I, when they said, announced that way back, I was like, really? We're gonna redo Voltron, really? But the way they did it, I gotta say, I it, it hit every every nerd point in me. Like, wow, I didn't think it would be this good. Unfortunately, when you say it's a person connected to the Hunger Games, we do it Battlestar Galactica. I have to go. Come on, bro. Really? That—that's my first reaction, man. And also, uh, just for our audience, we always, always want to get full edification. The actor you were talking about from the original Battlestar Galactica, who's very much alive, actually, Herbert Jefferson. Herb Jefferson was the actor that played Boomer uh, in the original Battlestar Galactica series. And then Great awesome. Park flipped it. I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and listen, they brought back Richard Hatch, and he was phenomenal. As like a, this, this, this uh, Bernie Sanders in space. <laughs> you compare him to Bernie Sanders? He well, was he more was kind of radical. Uh, yeah, he I was more say radical. Yeah. I wouldn't say he was Trump. I, you know, I, you you. You know, listen, some will say Trump and uh, Bernie Sanders are the flip side of the same coin, but um, let's just say for the sake of, you know, for being progressive or an anarchist, I think Richard Hatch, uh, he, was, he was great. That, that was a great series, man. <laughs> I'd have a hard time believing. I'd have a hard time believing that they would try to interpret that uh, differently or just have a whole different spin on it for the movies. It would be easier just to translate that stuff from the TV Although there was kind of a succinct ending. Yeah, but know, how some, do you fit that into two hours and 15, two hours and 30 minutes? There's just so much going on in Battlestar. I mean, whew, that, and again, it would be, okay, Steven Spielberg is doing it. All right, all right. George Lucas is doing it. All right, all right. It's the guy from the Hunger Games. What? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I, I forgot. Now, you know, I'm thinking logically. When you brought back that the Hunger Games director is going to be involved in this, uh, let's bring Claire into this. We go back, we go back and forth about the catnification, catnification of things, the catnification of Mystique, even with a Mystique movie, which I think is going to be poo-pooed on. I wish I, had, I wish I had my flatulent sound effect. I got to get that back. Anyway, uh, Claire. Um, I I don't know if you were a Battlestar Galactica fan, but it, this goes beyond this. What do you think is going on when they start to talk about a movie development and they have the Hunger Games dude involved? His name comes up. What what, what does that mean to you? Good, well, bad, I or indifferent? Seen, oh God, I haven't seen either the original uh, series BSG or the newer one. I say newer. But it, obviously, like you said, it came out in 2003, 10-plus uh, years ago. But I, I'm highly aware of it, obviously. I mean, it, it made the career of Grace Park, Katie Sackhoff. I mean, I'm, I'm Trisha Helfer. I'm, I'm obviously very aware of it. I just haven't seen it. 
Um, but I'm sure it's all more likely to go back and, and take a look at that than anything that the Hunger Games director is attached to. I mean, so, I'm just, yeah. dis- I, I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to say. I mean, everybody, like you guys have mentioned, there really is no set time for when things can be rebooted. Obviously, we've seen within, you know, Sony, Fox, that they don't care about having a good script, and they don't even care about going by source material. They will shell out a damn movie just because they're about to lose the rights. Okay? It has nothing to do with quality and having the right story and really having something to say, something new to bring to the table. No. It's about the licensing and it's going to expire, and we've got to just churn out some piece of crap just so that we can retain the rights for seven more years. So anyway, when it comes to all these reboots, I mean, of course, it's bound to happen. I, Robocop, Total Recall, whatever. I mean, it's going to get done. I had the same reaction. I had the exact same reaction. As soon as I heard that it was going to be the Hunger Games director, I was just like, oh, God. Okay, so clearly you just don't want me to watch this. I mean, not trying to be mean-spirited. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm in a mood. I'm sorry, but I'm in a mood today. But I just feel like, you know, you tell me that, you basically are telling me that you just want a bunch of 13-year-old girls watching this. And I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say anymore. I just don't. I mean, the whole Katniss Everdeen phenomenon, I'm done with it. I'm over it. I'm tired of the strong white girl. I'm just tired of it, okay? Enough. I mean, look what happened to um, the whole Divergent series. I mean, they tried to do the same nonsense, the same nonsense as Hunger Games. Hunger Games, the same nonsense as Twilight. Twilight trying to do the same nonsense. I mean, you know, with um, that formula that... The Harry Potter, you know, all these movies, they can't have it be a trilogy. Oh, no, no, no. Part three has to be split in two, so now it's four movies. And then the last two movies are garbage because you stretched out the story so paper thin, you know, just to try to justify having another installment, try to make that money. You know, I... So I can't even take him seriously. I can't even take him seriously. I mean, if this is for real, if this is guaranteed that Francis Lawrence is going to be directing, well, then you might have to count me out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go, go like everybody's homework. Everybody's homework is to check out the original miniseries of Battlestar Galactica. Well, however you do it, just look at that and go like, I'd rather see that on the big screen again. You don't have to see the whole series. Just watch the original, was it four hour or six hour, Afro Nerd? The, the, the original. The 2003, right? Yeah, the original. The yeah, was it four it, hour think, or six it, hours? I think it might have been six hours. Yeah, watch that. Just watch that. It doesn't. It, it, it's 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 the pilot for the series. But all you have to do is watch that, and then tell me if somebody affiliated with Hunger Games could come close to doing something like that. Well, I, I gotta say this to Claire, and I, I'm gonna send you uh, some stuff to, 
to see Battlestar Galactica. Well, actually, you know, is Battlestar Galactica on Netflix? Yeah. Daryl? Yep. It is. Mm-hmm. It's, it is must, it's must-see TV. It's riveting. And, and I will tell you this, if, if this will, you know, attract you to, to really checking it out. Because it, I haven't seen it in a while, but I'm pretty sure that it wears well. I don't re- recollect it being, like, dated or anything. Um, it reminded me of Oz in Space. As far as like the the, the heavyweight acting level, um, I, I was even surprised that they did a Battlestar Galactica the way the way that they did. The original Battlestar Galactica with Lauren Green and Mr. Jefferson, I, you know, I have um, a fondness for it. But I was a kid when that came out, and it was it was um, eh, you know you, you thought it was a Star Wars ripoff, but but. This this new version or newer version, it reminded me of of Oz, like the way that the actors and and the the, the intensity of the scenes. It was way serious. It was Grimey. way you know, you being a sci-fi head, this is a this is something you pretty much have to see. Um, hell, you know they were talking about you know, compared to Star Trek and you know it makes Star Trek look different. Because Star Trek, even the original Star Trek, is very, very cerebral. This is more, more gritty, less cerebral, maybe more. Um, uh, it, I don't know, it's, it, uh, it, it's just something, it, something else going on with it. Go like where Star Trek. Yeah, whereas Firefly and Serenity, that 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 franchise was grimy and everything was fun. This was grimy and sour. This was. That, that there were there weren't many happy endings, and if there was a happy ending, it lasted for like five, six seconds, and then something happened to make you go, "Oh, I didn't see that coming," you know? It, oh man, it was bleak. Matter, matter, matter of fact, matter of fact, <laughs> as good as it was, uh, you would almost wish that it was. It started off at Netflix. Matter of fact, oh I would say God. It's, it's definitely, it definitely, it's definitely befitting of a Netflix Netflix series. That's, let's put it that way. If that if that will bring you over to checking it out, that's what it would. You know, the fact that it's on Netflix now is apropos. Hell, I would prefer to see a Netflix reboot than a a Hunger Game guy, this Lawrence character, wanting to go back into this thing. Wait, that's how much that. more gri- how much more grittier can Netflix make it though? That that would be kind of scary. Yeah, I don't know how. Yeah, because it was some. Ooh. Ooh. Oz anyway. In space. Ooh. That's what it reminded me of. Oz in space. Um, let's move things along again. Still, I think the captain had to leave, so uh, we will reconvene with him at some other point Wednesday and then Saturday again. Um. Quickly, let's talk about this Mycroft Holmes and the Apocalypse Handbook. Uh, Daryl, did you have any awareness of this? I mean, I know I spoke about it. I think actually last show I mentioned that uh, Kareem, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, that he, first of all, he's a blurred, which is, which is refreshing. I think there's a, a number of blurs in sports. We just don't hear from them. But, uh, listen, he, has, he, forever, he will forever be a a hero of mine for a number of different reasons, almost analogous to Muhammad Ali. Uh, he was best friends with Bruce Lee. He was he was instructed by Bruce Lee, and there's footage of that. And then of course there's uh, 
the movie that he was in. Why can't I remember the name of the movie? Uh, yeah, not Game of the Death. Um, uh, what I mean, was the other one? I think it was Game of Death. I think it was Game of Death. It was incomplete. Yeah, Game of Death. Game of Death, he had to go through those different different state, different floors in this building. And he and, and uh the last one was the almost like a game, like the boss player, <laughs> if you can think of a video game, was the Kareem Abdul Jabbar uh, character. Anyway, as a blurred, we're finding out that he is a Sherlock Holmesian. If, if there's do well, I know there's such a thing. That he's a Sherlock Holmes enthusiast. And he wrote a book uh about Mycroft Holmes. And in Sherlock Holmes mythology, Mycroft Holmes is Sherlock Holmes' older and smarter brother. So now uh, he had the foresight to do a, a comic book, a comic book series. I saw this on, I believe, BleedingCool.com, again to the listening audience, UK, great UK comic book website, BleedingCool.com. And they have a couple of panels available showing you the artwork uh, of this series coming up, I think, in June or August, July or August, Mycroft Holmes and the Apocalypse Handbook, and it's about the older brother. What are your thoughts about this, and were you aware of, of Kareem's affinity for this kind of stuff? Well, one, Kareem is possibly one of the five smartest men I've ever met. I'll put that out there. And if he puts his mind to it, he could do anything. For people out there who might not know the relationship, if you watch Minority Report and how the kid acted to his rich thing like that, that was stolen right from Sherlock Holmes, where the brother is like, he's smart, he's successful, he's, you know, he's like this, while the kid, that that's the Mycroft Sherlock dynamic there. I mean, Sherlock is way smarter than the dude in Minority Report. Look, don't get don't get that that twisted, but that's the thing. Uh, that, uh, but that, I felt that's how they based this. Now, Kareem's got a lot of world travels. Kareem is probably one of the 10 foremost experts when it comes to Sherlock Holmes because even back in the day and and I've never asked him, but I saw the picture. He's st- he's uh, after one playoff game or something like that. He's at his locker taking questions, and there's a black and white photo. And in the corner of the locker is a uh, Arthur Conan Doyle book. <laughs> no one asked him about it, obviously, but I recall seeing this picture, black and white photo. He's in the locker answering questions. You know, this is way way back in the day. And in the corner, you could see an Arthur Conan Doyle book. So I expect that Holmes' mythology is in good hands with him. But it goes back to what I say also. We can do anything as long as we got the knowledge and the desire to do it. Lord knows Kareem is a world traveler. Lord knows Kareem can do anything he wants to do if he sets his mind to it. I mean, he wants to do a Mycroft Holmes book. Who's going to stop him? <laughs> hey, hey, why would you want him to, uh, to uh, want him not to do this? That's the question I would pose to you. You know, because there's always someone dissenting about, oh, they, they, we shouldn't be doing this. I mean, why would you stop Kareem Abdul-Jabbar 
from doing a Mycroft Holmes book if he's got the knowledge and he's got the passion to do it. You know? Hey, folks, if you pick it up and read it, you might just expand your mind. Back to you, Afrinard. Quickly, uh, a correction. It wasn't from Bleeding Cool. Maybe maybe Bleeding Cool has it, but actually it's Comics Alliance. Comics, if, uh, and I'll put a, a uh, link into the chat room that has a preview of the Mycroft Holmes comic book. But he's also doing this book with uh, Raymond Obstfeld. These names are really a killer. Uh, <laughs> Raymond Obstfeld. Pardon me. Hey, um, you got my, my pronunciation disease, I see. I didn't know it was yeah. infectious. My bad. Um, so anyway, um, I, I, I will say this, though. They've already made him uh, more physically uh, accessible <laughs> because – the way that Mycroft is supposed to be originally, he's, he's kind of an obese, frumpy character. We know that his deductive abilities are, are actually superior to Sherlock Holmes, which is kind of hard to even fathom that. Uh, but he doesn't have the finesse that Sherlock has, and he's, you know, he's kind of a frumpy, obese dude. For this, for this uh, comic book, he looks like Jared Leto. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, I, you know, you got to sell a book. I'm still going to get it, but I can see some shenanigans going on, and maybe if we're able to get Kareem. You know, you name-drop Kareem, uh, Daryl. You, you did it very smooth, very matter-of-factly. How, how, when, where did you meet and have a conversation with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? It was back in the late 80s. Rick Pitino was coaching the Knicks. I was at, the, at MSG. And and I'm I'm getting a hot dog, and me being uh, 12 years old at the time, I just went wandering. I went wandering, and I somehow got up into the 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 press box VIP sections, and there was Kareem just sitting down having a thing. And I I went, hey, Mr. Jabbar, I'm not supposed to be up here, but uh, and again, lying through my teeth. I went like, I'm not supposed to be up here, but I want to say thank you. You're great. You're an inspiration. And he's like, kids, sit down here for a second. He just patted his seat. Sit down here a second. And go like, what do you intend to be when you grow up? And I BS'd my way through that one. I didn't know what I wanted to be. And he's like, kid, whatever you do, put your mind to it, and you'll succeed. Now get out of here. I went like, thank you, sir, for your time, and I walked out. <laughs> You're bothering me, kid. Get out of here, you see? Yeah. <laughs> there it goes. Hey, like I said, but but I could see I I was just totally, like, in shock. Like, I I walked up to the VIP, and I met Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Hey, I came down. My dad was like, what took you so long? And I was like, I, I saw Kareem. And he's like, yeah, right. But I remember the meeting to this day. See, see, D- Daryl. Yo. See, now I'm old enough to know that that story you just told that would have made a great like Coke commercial in the '70s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except I didn't get a jersey. Uh, oh, you, oh, you know that too, huh? I, I didn't know you. I didn't know. I you were too young to know that reference. Oh. Uh, you see, my luck on that commercial—he throws the Coke at me. Hey, 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 here you go, Mr. T- Mr. T- here. They're like, would you like a sip of my Coke? Get out of here, kid. Crash. Security, you know. Um, 
let's turn things around a little bit um, and something to kind of calm down uh, Claire's nerves. Because I have to remind her that, you know, listen, progress is slow. Progress is slow. E- even in talking about Sherlock Holmes, did we, did, we must remember that for the last, what, four years, uh, that Lu- uh, Le- Lucy Liu has been, has been portraying Watson. Um, they're going elementary. more into her. Yeah, in elementary. Um, and the actor, what is who's the guy that plays uh, the, act, the, oh. the actor? He's friends with Benedict. He's friends, ironically, he's friends with Benedict Cumberbatch. He used to, he used to date, um, what's her face? Uh, Angelina. Uh, and, and, yeah, Angelina Jolie. What, his name's Johnny Lee name Miller. Right? Yes, thank you. I need more Gen Z. Uh Yeah, Johnny Lee Miller. She she is integral to that series, and I kind of like their relationship. Um, and also, uh, I want to talk about another Netflix series with Benedict Wong, who I was extremely impressed. Marco Polo 2 comes out, and I know that Daryl threw out the Voltron thing. And uh, actually, as soon as he said it on Twitter, I actually went to see. I forgot that Voltron was actually on uh, Netflix, and actually that's quite good. And uh, even that's more adult and it's a lot of things going on. It's a lot of things. Netflix is it. <laughs> if you haven't, if you haven't guessed it, um, I think that progress is, although slow, it's important to to kind of note what Marco Polo signifies as far as a uh, Asian centric depictions. You know, and um, a lot of money went to that. I think it was like ninety million dollars. Because it, it looks like a movie. I mean, it's like a real movie. I mean, Netflix has money, <laughs> clearly. Well, Cause this, well looks, as you, this looks expensive. Yeah, but as you say that, keep in mind, keep in mind, it's be, it's being successful in a market where we just had a whole bunch of people yelling at, I think, the History Channel. Was it History Channel? For depicting Hannibal as black. Oh, yeah, oh, we spoke about that on ha- Wednesday. Yeah, Hannibal can't be black. Da, da, da. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. What what empire was Hannibal fighting for? You realize it, 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 a lot of brown people are in that area, right? You you realize that it is possible well, for I, this to happen. I don't know. I don't know if you listened to Wednesday's show, but we talked about that specifically. Yeah, and but what was Car- what, what was Carthage? I mean, it, again, it's Hannibal from Carthage. Carthage is Tunisia today, and Tunisia has uh, Nubians, dark-skinned Berbers. They had Berbers back then, Berbers now. And it, it, but there's always going to be this issue of North Africa because of all of the, um, all of the accomplishments, whether it's Mali, whether it's e- Egypt. North Africa, they're, they're making that white. <laughs> they're making that white. Listen, if, if Harlem... If if Harlem has its own, if they could make uh, the Harlem Renaissance white, they would do that too, and they're probably but, working on that. But that's where the success of Marco Polo, you know, or and and the critical acclaim it's gotten, and fans speaking about it, this could easily be another Game of Thrones. This could easily be that, except the problem is, you know, Game of Thrones is HBO, so Marco Polo has to do two times the work to get the the, the notoriety and the name and and everything out there. But don't get it twisted. 
it's got a very vocal fan base. I found that out when I made the Voltron comment. You know, like, hey, hey, I've watched a few episodes. I gotta, I gotta watch it religiously, but it, it just Listen, goes to I was show. About, I was about to clap back on you, but I, I did. I said, okay, I'll let that, I'll let you have that. But you know, Marco Polo might be of more importance, even though I like Voltron for the historical aspects of it than Voltron. Uh, and but, again, you know, we have Benedict, Benedict Wong, who we're going to be looking out for for um, Doctor Strange. Although Wong is the servant, he should be the partner. See, there's little things I'm going to be seeing for this movie because black folks are used to servant status when it comes to how these things go down. Wong should not be considered. Doctor Strange's servant. He's got to be considered a partner. But we'll see that because they've already did the, the Tilda Swinton switcher, switcheroo. We, we but, see how this works. Yeah, but but again, that's where uh, that's where you have to challenge uh, thinking concepts and all of that. That's why that's why I tell people I don't go on these things to be fake. I can't say, oh, it's the thing I'm looking forward to. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. I'll get to it. Eventually, but I, it's not, it's not going to. Uh, it's not a criticism on the strides it's making because it is quality television. It is quality and television. And you know something else? Um, I got to mention this also, since we're, we're talking about Asian actors. Um, B. D. Wong, as as um, on on uh, Doctor Strange, the other Doctor Strange, Hugo Strange. I like his portrayal because, you know, people have problems with, with Gotham because uh, it seems as if when you see, like, Jada Pinkett, even though, I, I, you know, I don't mind, you know, I, she, she's she's a little over the top in some ways. I like his portrayal of of Hugo Strange where he's a little bit more, uh, he's less heavy. Somehow he's, he's a little bit more even-keeled where some of the other actors seem to really be, like, over the top ham, ham style. Uh, I like well, him as Hugo Strange. Well, I'll uh, say this. Good. I'll say this. Mr. Wong is the closest to what I've uh, uh, what I know Hugo Strange to be in comics and in the the, the animated series. He's the cl- the the one villain on that show that is the closest to being to what I'm used to than everybody else. Everybody else, it's this. The, you say it right. They they play it to levels of being over the top where you're like, and, and how you're is this? Di- yeah, yeah. Like how is this different than what we hate on when they do it in the feature film? <laughs> Batman, and Robin. You know uh, when they do it like so over the top where, ah, oh, come on, really, really, we're, we're doing it like this. You know he plays it where you actually get scared. When he delivers some of his lines, where he does it in such an even keel yet menacing way, where you're like, uh, um, I'm slightly uncomfortable here. I don't know why yeah. I'm supposed to be uncomfortable. This is a TV show, but I'm slightly yeah. uncomfortable. I'll be. I'll, I'll even go one step further. The way, first of all, I like the interplay between he and the sister that's on there. That his 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 assistant. Well, they're two, uh, two peas in the same pot of having some kind of... They're sadists, clearly. They're sadists. But they, they play it less phoning in, more in the middle, whereas the other actors... Uh, you start You're to, laughing they half make the me, time. Well, well, they make me see the flaws 
in the other actors. Let's put it that way. That's, that, that's what irritates me about Gotham. If the other characters played it the way those two play it, I would be all in Gotham, more, more so. Everyone else but, is doing the hand bone. But, but, that, but uh, it also goes to something else we talk about. And, and, Claire, you can attest to this. You want to know when you make it as an actor out of color? When you could play equally a good guy, which he does, I think it's major crimes that he was on, where you could play a good guy and you could play a villain like he does with Hugo Strange, and you're just like, this is the same actor. I know this is the same actor, but, oh, my God, this is scary. You know, and like, also, we, we, got, we got to remind ourselves that he was in Oz as the priest, and he's also in Mr. Robot, and what he does in Mr. Robot is also off the chain. <laughs> so I got I, I to go to Clara again. He's well-rounded. When they give you, when they give you a shot, you can you can you can do the damn thing. So um, I'm taking notice. What about you with some of the stuff? Like you know, I think that Marco Polo is is, is good representation. Um, I think more people need to be highlighting it. And some of this other stuff, like Mr. Robot's off the chain, but Wong in that he was he. I can't even tell you what he does in that. This stuff going on. We got to highlight it though. People have to know. I haven't seen him in Gotham because, like you mentioned, there's a lot of uh, scenery Hambo. chewing, just like over the top. I mean, he's good though. Mustache twirling. I just can't yeah. deal with it. I just can't. I mean, when people start acting like caricatures, I'm I'm I tune out. So that's why I haven't even bothered to uh, to keep up with the series. But I have seen him. And Mr. Robot, and I have seen bits and pieces of him in uh, Law and Order, which he was on for quite a while, actually. Yeah. And um, you know, I remember the very first time I saw him, he and, he and Lucy Liu. It's funny, both of them were guest starring on an episode of The X Files. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Point to clear for that incredible. one. It was incredible. It was incredible because you're, and he even has this whole spiel that he gives Mulder and Scully about, you know, the fact that even his own kind, his own people, because the investigation, the the, the stuff that's happening is happening in Chinatown. And Mm. so it's, it's, again, it was kind of bordering on paranormal meets mysticism and, and ancient, you know, traditions and whatnot. Yeah, there, but there's a trope. There, there's a trope there too. I've seen that. I re- I recognize stuff. You know, there, there's. But at least, this is the at least Hollywood. he had held his. He held his own, as he always does. He held his own with dignity. And like I said, there was a speech that he gives Mulder and Scully about the fact that even his own kind doesn't look at him as really being legitimate Asian, because of the way he carries himself, because of the fact that he speaks perfect English. And he consorts with the white devils, and anyway, so I really respected the fact that they they showed two sides of the coin because he's playing that role, where Lucy Liu was playing absolute stereotypical meek little Asian girl that barely speaks English. So it was oh, I, nice I think I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Point on that episode. I remember that. Like I said, Claire I trumped us this time. 
Court, pulling well, that know, nugget you know, out. We weren't ready for that one. Claire got us. <laughs> but, but you, you know something that that's a trope that's really offensive, and everybody it, it goes it goes to show you how it is a commonality when it comes to folks of color. That uh, they still kind of do this to this day, but it was really big. Let's say ten years going back, where there would always be like you had these mainstream programs, and they they would be the minority episode. Let's say, especially if it was like a well, like an investigative kind of thing or a detective series where you had to go to the hood. And then, it, then all the white characters have to interact with all the black characters. Or you've got to go to Chinatown. And then you, you, get, you get to see uh, the contrast of cultures, but it was a contrast on, on a stereotype. And the fact that we, 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 you can reminisce about this stuff and how, how, like, how offensive this stuff kind of can, can, can work itself out to be, there's always that episode where you have, or even Native Americans. You 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 go to the Native American. You, you have to go uh, to the reservation, and then it's all what you would expect it to be, based on rife with stereotypes. It's never like breaking the fourth wall or some other aspect. It's every once the blue moon, you start to see stuff go a different direction because they know they can't do it. I saw um, just I got to mention this quickly, Royal Pains on uh, USA TV, uh, concierge doctor in the Hamptons, Long Island. Uh, the, the lead character has to go to, I believe, Hong Kong, the last couple of episodes. So he's, he's interacting on some kind of, you know, quasi-James Bond kind of thing. And then he meets a, a prospective love interest who, when he first speaks to her, he speaks to her in, in like, broken Cantonese. Like, it's like he's trying to kind of work it out. And then she says, in perfect English, you know, I'm from Brooklyn. I don't know. I don't know how to speak this. I, you know, it, it was, I was like, okay. That's what I want to see, where you see this woman, he went into this whole thing not knowing that I'm just as American as you are, and I'm, I'm here visiting like you're visiting. Now, back in the day, they wouldn't do that. But they kind of, they kind of sort of have to, you know, you kind of have to treat people not like stereotypes. I mean, you know, but they're fighting you, they're fighting against that. They're it's doing hard to do. Claire, remember, it's, it's 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 years and years of of like unconscious programming that all of a sudden we're trying to fight against. Everybody's got it. Every, like I said, the 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 worst thing you could say is I'm not racist. I'm not sexist. Problem is, you've been indoctrinated with it so long that you not even realize that you do things that are racist and sexist. Which you, what we have to work on is to get Hollywood to unconsciously, consciously stop doing these things, to make characters three-dimensional, to show that anybody can be a hero, anybody can be a villain. You know that? Well, I'm that, telling that's you, that's the that's the uphill battle. I'm telling you, it was, it was refreshing to see that just that little exchange. The fact, hey, I'm from Brooklyn, man. I was like, oh, I was like, okay, I was like, okay, fine. You know, what I mean? it's, just, it's just, I don't know, because back in the day, it would be, it would play like some kind of, it would be hokey, it would be hokey. So I mean, I don't know what to say. It's, it's, it's baby steps at this point, baby steps. Folks, we got about three minutes remaining. Um, we're, we always have an overload of topics. I'll say one quick thing. I just want to throw this out there because I was just thinking of it, and then we'll have to close shop. You know, I, I was thinking about the the, um, the lack lack of success that Fox has had with Fantastic Four, and I'm thinking, well, you know, DC has their own version of Fantastic Four, 
dare I say, even two Fantastic Fours, uh, Challengers of the Unknown, which actually predates Fantastic Four, which I think Fantastic Four really rips off of Challengers of the Unknown, and and the Doom Patrol. Uh, have you? Do you think that DC? Well, I mean, I would like to see these two these two things. Let me go to Daryl on this one. Has there been any talk of a Doom Doom Patrol or a Challengers of the Unknown movie? No, no, not not for the last ten. Not not since uh, I remember they were talking about it when Grant Morrison was hot with JLA that those are properties that they could do. But outside of that, that's been chilled because let's face it, they couldn't even get. Um, Justice League Dark, right, and hopefully the animated thing uh, brings it to pass. But again, they uh, every time DC uh, tries out something new, they fall back to Batman. <laughs> we're we're going to go back to our Batman set position because Batman doesn't fail us. They they don't take risks. They 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 want they want the sure thing, but they're afraid to go out there. Hey. Doom Patrol would be a very risky movie, but it could be their X-Men if done right. Problem is, there's that word if. So, we could we could ask for it, we could try it, but no, I don't expect it. Back to you, Alfred. All right, folks, less than a minute. Claire, as always, I hope you dig the new intro, and uh, we have... We have two music musical themes going back for you. Uh, I'll, I'll, it'll be a surprise next week, but there's we we have two for you. Um, oh wow! Q, uh, as always, absolute pleasure. Um, let's go out on a the, on the groove. This is new. Uh, this is I am True Star. Love Jones sixteen. I am True Star. See you Wednesday and then Saturday. It's been real. Always. Enjoy.